You're listening to Invited In with Christine Boyle, where disability and faith meet. Here's your host, Christine Boyle. You are invited in. Well, hi, friends. Thank you so much for joining me today. Um, Hey, I'm going to start off by saying, as you can probably already hear in my voice, I know I'm kind of a raspy voice person at baseline, um, but now I'm exceptionally raspy um, because I'm not sure if this has been true of your household, but I feel like we've been sick on and off for the last three weeks, and pretty much any time I get sick, I get laryngitis. So, um, But there is a time sensitivity to this podcast, and so I am going to rally through this, and I hope you can bear with me and bear with this hoarseness that I am bringing today, but I think it's going to be worth it. So um, yeah, so sorry that I couldn't hold off a little bit longer, but I am actually going to be sharing with you today um, because tomorrow is um, the two-year anniversary of Court's passing. And so I really wanted to record this today so that on March 1st, I was able to get this podcast published. And so again, there is a time sensitivity to this. So I sprayed a little afrin in my nose. I have my hot tea next to me, and I'm hoping that I can rally through this and Um, make this work and that it's not terrible for all of us. (laughs) I can edit out my coughs too. So um, believe it or not, by the end of this, there probably will not be any coughing because I can edit it out. But hey, thank you so much for joining me. Um, This podcast is definitely going to be different for many reasons and probably the biggest being that this is just going to be a really emotional podcast for me. But yet, I would tell you that really for probably well over a year, I knew that this was a story God was telling me. Um, See, I'm already getting a little shaky in my voice. I knew this is a story God was telling me um, just had to be shared. It had to be shared because um, it declares his goodness. It declares... um, Ooh, this is going to be hard. <laughs> it declares his goodness. It declares his faithfulness in such a powerful, beautiful, and loving way. And um, I know that people need to hear it. I know that um, for my heart, I know I need to share it too. So, okay, on top of the hoarseness... <laughs> I want to say I'm a terrible crier and talker, so I'm going to do my best to stay composed, um, but I also want to be so real and so authentic and transparent um, with you all and just walk with you um, and invite you into this beautiful story of what God did leading up to Court's passing and to the day that she passed away. So in case you are joining me For the first time on this episode, um, my daughter, Courtney, went home to be with Jesus March 1st, 2021, 22. Oh my gosh, I just said 21, 22. And um, so two years, it's been two years. And um, she spent seven weeks in the hospital um, leading up to her passing. She passed away at Cleveland Clinic Children's Hospital. And I guess I would say this, if for some random reason this is your very first podcast with me, 
Um, I'm just going to encourage you to jump back to episode one, episode two, to kind of get an understanding of our family and our story. Um, Otherwise, a lot of this, I'll be honest, isn't probably going to make the most sense. But I will say that Courtney was born with disabilities, born with medical complexities. We have a son, Kevin, who we adopted from El Salvador, who also has disabilities and medical complexities. So that's kind of at least that um, backstory there. But I do want to just share this journey, this journey that, you know, I'll be honest with you, like, we always knew court wouldn't outlive us. Um, and, and I say we knew that obviously God could have done anything, but, you know, to the best of our human knowledge, we knew she was not going to outlive us. So, you know, this, this day, this, this situation, uh, we knew, we knew this was going to happen. We just didn't know when, and we didn't know where. And, you know, it's kind of weird when you are a parent of someone with a chronic illness. Um, And I guess you don't have to just be a parent. I guess anytime you're dealing with a chronic illness, you think about these things. You have to think about death. You have to think about the reality that, okay, this child probably isn't going to outlive us. And so there are definitely times where, and I don't want to sound morbid saying this, but there were times where I would think, like, how do I, how do I want her to die? Um, do I want her to pass away at home, in her sleep? Like, you, th- you think through those things. And I know if you're a parent of a chronically ill child or if you're a caregiver of someone chronically ill that you know is probably not going to outlive you, I know you've thought of these things. Um you know, even if it's not been a lifelong disability or lifelong chronic disease, but if you're dealing with something terminal, um, I'm sure those things have gone through your head. They have to, because this is your reality. Um, And so for me, I always thought, I just want her to pass away at home. Or I thought, it's going to be a crisis because she lived on long-term IV nutrition, which made her have a central line, which is implanted into your heart and puts you at great risk of sepsis. Um, and we always, every fever we had to be on top of, we had to draw blood, we had to give IV antibiotics. Like I always thought it would be sepsis at home that took her really Um, So you kind of think through these things. And again, whether that's healthy or unhealthy, I have no idea. But it's the reality of the things that have to go through your head when you're a caregiver. And so I'll be honest, the story that God chose to write, um, the path that he took us on in her death um, was so the opposite of what I ever would have picked of what I ever thought would be. Um, And yet, it was some of the greatest graces he has ever bestowed upon us. Um, 
You know, I think of the scripture in the Bible that says he can do and will do more than we can ask or imagine. Um, I never, ever in a million years could have even prayed for or thought up the story he was going to write for her death. Um, And that really just says something right there about God, that he is beyond our comprehension. He is good beyond what we could ever imagine. He is compassionate beyond what we could ever imagine. (laughs) Um, His grace abounds in the places that are the hardest places oftentimes. So, so I decided to name this podcast um, Perfect in All of His Ways because what I've learned about the Lord, and not just even in courts passing, but it definitely was like relearning it, reliving it, rebelieving it in her death was that the Bible tells us, and it's in Psalm 1830, that God's way is perfect. His way is perfect. His way is perfect in every aspect of life. Um, Death, his way is perfect. And I remember the first time I heard that, and I didn't even realize like it was a scripture. Um was in the song Indescribable by Chris Tomlin. If you can think of that song, um, and I'm not going to sing it because I'm not a singer, but if you can think of that song, it says, perfect in all of his ways. You are perfect in all of your ways. And I remember times singing that and just struggling to sing those words. Um. And part of that's just because our lives, and this is true for anybody, but obviously I'm sharing my story today, my experiences. Um, There's been so many times that our journey hasn't felt perfect, hasn't been easy. And yet singing those words was a declaration of This is beyond my feelings. This is beyond my circumstances. This is declaring that the God of the universe has not lost control and that his ways are perfect. Whether we agree with it, (laughs) whether we disagree with it, whether we believe it or not, that's the reality. God is true and his word is true and his character is true. And it has nothing to do with us. It has nothing to do with us. There have been times that I've not believed the things God has said about himself. There's been times where he has had to so graciously, kind of figuratively sit me down and say, I'm going to teach you this about me because you don't believe it. But because I don't believe it doesn't mean it's not true. Because you don't believe it doesn't mean it's not true. And so again, the reality is, the truth is, 
His ways are perfect. His ways are perfect. Even when we don't understand it, even when it's the hardest thing we've ever walked through, his ways are perfect. And yet, I would say, I think there's those times in life where we really walk through things blindly, having to trust with all of our hearts. Like, okay, God, this is who you say you are. I don't see it. I don't feel it. But this is who you say you are. And I think this journey as Courtney passed away was really different than that. I've walked through seasons like that. I've walked through experiences like that where you were really walking by faith every step of the way. And not that her death wasn't that, but God just made himself so clear, so showed up so clearly, made himself so apparent, just made his presence so known, um, did things through people, through experiences that just made us be able to stop and say his ways are perfect, perfect in all of his ways. And he knows, you know, he knows what each of us needs in each season, in each moment of our lives, right? He knows everything. And I am so thankful that he knew for Courtney's passing that we would just need to see his hand over and over and over. I think... I think he knew that we um, needed to just know with all our hearts. He didn't lose control for a second. Again, by his grace and his goodness and his compassion, he met us right where we were at over and over and over again. He made himself so real and so there with us every step of the way. And so the beautiful thing in this is that the title of this podcast and this declaration of Psalm 1830, that God's way is perfect, um, isn't me walking blindly in faith. It's me getting to um, testify and declare to you that her death was perfect. Wow. <laughs> oh, this is going to be hard. <laughs> Her death was perfect. It was perfect. It was um, the hardest thing we've ever walked through. But it was perfect. The timing, the place, 
the people. It was perfect. <sighs> yeah. This is what he picked for her. This is what he picked for us. And that is my heart, is to share that with you. Um, and, you know, the other day on Facebook, um, sorry, I'm going to blow my nose. Um, the other day on Facebook, I posted, and for those of you who follow my Facebook or Instagram, I don't do as much on Instagram, but, <coughs> but, um, you know, we were just in Disney, Disney World this past weekend because, you know, how Dan would push her in races at Disney World. And, um, you know, I posted on Facebook when we got back and I said, you know, now the timing of all of this is like the busiest week of our lives because we have race weekend, which we were always doing and we were doing it with Courtney, but now it's different because it's this celebration. It's this, you know, running in her honor and you know, more people are coming to join us in this celebration and these runs. Um, so we have this, you know, big race weekend that requires we're traveling and all of that. And then we come home and the day after we came home was our 11 year anniversary of Kevin's adoption. You know, so we're celebrating these these mixed emotions of court and, and this race, this, these highs, these lows, this grief, this celebration. Then we come home and we're celebrating Kevin and 11 years with him and then you know two days later is the anniversary of her passing and so um you know as I was typing on Facebook I was saying you know I'm just so grateful that God makes space for all of this all of this all of these feelings all of these emotions and um just these crazy highs and lows right and, and yesterday, you know, I bought this really cool, um, when I was at PodFest uh, a month or so ago, I bought this really cool journal thing that just puts a scripture and has you write it out. And that's kind of how my brain works and how I'm wired. I love taking notes and writing to help me retain things. And, um, and so yesterday, you know, I was searching for something in my room and I'm like, came across this devotional journal thing. And I was like, oh, I forgot I bought this. And so I went and sat down at my counter and I opened it up. And um, the first scripture was Ecclesiastes 3, 1 through 8. And in my head, I was like, this is going to be that scripture about a season and a time for everything. And I just kind of stopped and went like, oh, this is just who God is. This is just who Jesus is, like how he handpicks everything, that there's no coincidences in our lives. Um, because I didn't have that scripture memorized, but I know we all know it, whether it's from Footloose, <laughs> right? Or whether it's just because you've just heard it all your life. But I didn't know the the scripture chapter and verse. And so I opened my Bible and I start writing out this Ecclesiastes 3, 1 through 8. And sure enough, it's the scripture that I had in mind as I was typing that Facebook post. 
Um, And I'll read that to you guys. So it's Ecclesiastes 3, 1 through 8. And it says, For everything there is a season, a time for every activity under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to harvest, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build up, a time to cry and a time to laugh, time to grieve and a time to dance, time to scatter stones and a time to gather stones, a time to embrace and a time to turn away, a time to search and a time to quit searching, time to keep and a time to throw away, time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be quiet and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. And um, I wrote this and then I journaled a bit after. And um, what I found myself journaling was just that this just, I felt like, um, I felt like, I feel like these last two years have been really hard for our family for so many reasons. There's been an exceptional amount of loss in our family, um, relationships, loss with court, just, yeah, a lot of loss. And, um, and just reading that, it made me just recognize that there really is a time for everything. You know, we use that word seasons a lot. I'm going through a season or I'm in a season. We use that a lot. It's a very churchy, Christianity word, right? Um, and yet it's biblical that there's seasons, there's seasons. And um, for us, this has been a season of many highs and lows. But even in this last week, it's been this season of this time of celebrating, rejoicing, grieving, mourning. And I loved reading this, that the Bible just reminds us that this is life. This is life, you guys. This is life that it's predictable. It's um, foreseeable that we're going to have mourning and grieving. We're going to have rejoicing and celebrating. We're going to have um, dancing and times of just deep mourning and sorrow. We're going to plant. We're going to harvest. Like, it's biblical. Um, and so I just felt like God just just kind of healed my heart a bit yesterday of like, like it's okay, you know, because sometimes I think we wonder why we're walking through seasons of loss, physical loss, relational loss, you know, you name it, financial loss, whatever it may be in our lives. And yet again, it's predictable. It's expected. It's like the Bible's telling us like expect it. It's going to happen. And I think what the cry of our hearts are often is that we just want to know Jesus is with us. We just want to know he's walking alongside us. And so my prayer yesterday as I was kind of journaling my prayer after reading and writing out that scripture was just thank you, Lord, for carrying me through these seasons. Um, thank you for meeting me in these seasons. And so, you know, 
I'd love to sit here with you today and be like, hey, got it all together. I'm totally this strong person. Um, we are walking through the hardest season <laughs> we're ever going to walk through that we know of. And, and there's a reality that comes with deep loss of knowing um, you're never going to be the same person again. You know, how can you be, right? Like it's, it changes you forever um, when you walk through really deep, hard loss. But the hope I want to give and the hope I carry in me is knowing that and believing that these losses and these seasons that we walk through, um, kind of like I t talked about in the first episode of God's Sovereignty, everything is ordained, everything is orchestrated, everything is filtered through his hands. And I remember it used to make me really angry when Christians would be very flippant about pain and suffering and just be like, oh, God's great, God's good, God's sovereign. Um, and it still kind of makes me angry because that's not how we're wired as humans. Like when we're walking through pain and hurt, like the God of the Bible, Jesus from the Bible, he doesn't just look at us and tell us to get over it and trust that he's sovereign and, um, and, and not feel. That's the whole reason he came. His whole ministry was incarnational ministry, becoming a person so that we could see that the God of the universe wept over pain and sorrow. The Bible calls him a man of sorrows. He wept and wailed when his friend Lazarus died. He grieved and had tender heart toward people who were suffering. Um, and so I want to reassure you, if you haven't heard that about Jesus, that that is who Jesus is, and that is why he came. He came so that when he died for us, it hurt <laughs> that he would bleed. He could have um, paid for our sins and whatever way he wanted, but he chose to suffer and he chose to die. And his disciples, his followers, they mourned, they grieved over his death because their friend, their savior, their rabbi had just died. And so I'm not going to be um, a Christian who... Um, acts like, it's okay, my kid died. <laughs> I can't. Um, for 21 years, um, I had the incredible privilege, hard, <laughs> very hard, but the incredible privilege of getting to love her and care for her every single day. Getting to have fun with her. Getting to um, wash her hair because <laughs> she loved that. 
blow dry her hair because she loved that, getting to pick out her clothes, getting to put Bath and Body Works lotion on her, put makeup on her once in a while because she loved that. I loved getting to snuggle with her, give her Eskimo kisses. Loved it all. And I miss it. So, I definitely can't sit here and tell you, like, I'm not sad because I'm super sad. I miss my girl. But I told Cord often because I knew she wasn't going to outlive us that heaven was the goal and Jesus was the goal. And the beautiful thing about Court's life, and if you're in a situation like we were, you can probably relate to this. It makes you live life different when you know that. You know, people would always comment and say like, oh my gosh, like you guys are always out and about doing things. You guys are always doing crazy fun things with your kids. And this is why, because we knew we had to live life to the fullest. Every day mattered. Every day counted. And that's a gift. It's a gift, you guys, when you get to live life in a way of every day counts. Every day matters. Um, you get to live the most beautiful life. Um, and I got to do that for a really long time, and I'm thankful for that. And I'm so thankful for God, to God for that. Um, but again, I miss her. But she knew, and we all need to know and be reminded, the goal is heaven. The goal is Jesus. The Bible tells us our life is a vapor, that we are here today, gone tomorrow. That is true of any of us. We are all dying. Our, our days are ordained. We like to say that when it comes to people who are ill or people with disabilities. But the truth is, if you are an able-bodied person that has zero health issues, your day of death is known. God knows it, <laughs> right? I mean, the truth is our days are numbered. It is true for each one of us. You just live it different when it feels a little more real. And so we talked about that in our home. We had to. We made sure court knew, like, Jesus is the prize. <laughs> Jesus is the prize. Like, we want to go to heaven. We want to be in heaven with Jesus. Heaven is not about having a healthy body. Heaven is not about seeing our family and friends. Although those are perks of heaven and blessings of heaven, Heaven is about being with Jesus. Heaven is about worshiping him forever and ever and getting to run into his arms, getting to kneel before him, getting to hear, well done, good and faithful servant, and getting rewards for how you lived life and the way you persevered here on earth. What we do on this earth echoes in eternity. I think that's a quote from Gladiator, but I love it. But it's true. What we do here echoes in eternity, right? It's true. 
And so we wanted her to be prepared for that. We need to be prepared for that. So I want to share, um, and let me back up one second. Um, I've said this before, but let me say this again. Luke 12, 7 is one of my most favorite scriptures. And it says, and the very hairs on your head are numbered. And anyone who spends, my Young Life kids that I hang out with a lot and do Bible study with, they would tell you they know this is one of my favorite scriptures. My husband would tell you this is one of my favorite scriptures. Court knew this. Um, This really became really powerful to me the two years before she passed away when I started to see that her body was changing. And she always had this really thick, full head of hair, and I was starting to see her hair thinning. And, and I needed to reassure myself that as I knew these were signs of her body kind of getting tired, God was still in control. And the scripture very clearly says, the number of hairs on our head are known by God. And so whether that number, I have no idea how many number of hairs we have on our head at baseline and what's normal, but whether that's 5 million hairs, I have no idea. Or a million, I have no idea. God knows. That verse just declares he knows. He knows and he hasn't lost control. There's scriptures that say even the number of grains of sand are known. It just declares his power, his sovereignty, and that he knows everything, you guys. And I'm, and I'm just going to tell you right now, If the life God has chosen for you is one that comes with a lot of trials and hardships, please take time to know scriptures like that. Please take time to reassure yourself and teach yourself from God's word that he knows and he has not lost control because those are going to be the things that carry you through times when you start to realize your daughter's body's getting tired. And that she's probably going to die at some point. When you don't know how you're going to make ends meet, to know that God is in control, that God is the one who knows the number of hairs on your head, that he cares for you more than he does the the sparrows, right? Who the Bible tells us are always well fed, right? Like he cares about us much more than them. Like we need to know these things. We need to know these things to be able to trust God and believe in who he is. So I just want to encourage you with that. But let me um, kind of transition now to the things I really want to share with you about what God did through Court's um, journey going home to be with Jesus. So, you know, again, for those of you who have followed our journey for a while, um, you'll know some of this. And for those of you who haven't, you're not going to know this, but I am going to share this um, on a podcast in the future. Not sure when, but at some point I will. We did Courtney's care at a children's hospital in Columbus for many, many years. And that children's hospital, um, we were there for about 14 years doing care. That children's hospital saved her life many times. It was a place, a refuge for her. It is a place that I attribute the fact that she was able to live on IV nutrition as long as she did without any complications. It was a place that I would say had saved her life time and time again. One of the best doctors we had ever had to this day was at that hospital and um, 
really, yeah, definitely probably the greatest doctor we ever worked with was at that hospital and faithfully cared for her and really was the reason we had the medical outcomes we had. But there was a turn of events towards, I guess it was during COVID, so 2020. And um, she was hospitalized there for about four months. We had about a break of about a week in the middle of those four months. And the doctor we had loved retired, and we got switched to a different doctor who managed her IV nutrition. And there was a, a falling out over me not being heard as a parent. And um, I basically just kind of said, hey, we need to work with the other physician instead of you. I'm so sorry, but I really need time to forgive and rebuild my trust. And I'm not going to lie, kind of all hell broke loose at that hospital. Um, And not in that moment, but it was a gradual, but that was the start of it. It was a critical situation that was happening and transpiring at home. I wasn't being heard. I wasn't being valued. And she ended up almost dying in the hospital. And had I listened to that physician, she would have died at home. And so I prepared for a really hard conversation with this physician. And um, this physician did not take it well. And long story long, we ended up experiencing um, medical retaliation from this institution medical malpractice from this institution. And if many of you, again, followed our journey, there was a period of time after the first two months in the hospital there that we were wrongly discharged from the hospital. She was in critical condition, ended up having to seek care up here in Cleveland. She got hospitalized here. And I kind of attributed at that time, because it wasn't a whole whole institutional issue at that time, um, I kind of attributed that issue to um, just a couple bad doctors at the time. And so we made the choice to go back there, get transferred back there. And it was really those last two months of that hospitalization. And during that hospitalization, she got her trach, all of that, that then we saw an entire institution retaliate against our family. We had never experienced anything like this ever, nothing even close. And so... um, I learned after we were discharged, so kind of wrapping up those four months, I learned from talking to a disability attorney that this happens way more than I would realize. And the attorney basically told me, you need to quickly and quietly switch her care and you're done. Like she basically said, unless you know you want to take on the second largest children's hospital in the country, you need to quickly and quietly switch her care. Again, if you're a healthy person, this is not going to have the impact that it had. Like, you're not going to be able to understand this. If you're somebody who relies on the medical system to live, you'll understand this was the most detrimental thing we could have experienced. Even during those last two months at that hospital, we were so grossly mistreated. I mean, horrific, horrific. I remember my cousin, because I finally got to a point where I was like, this just doesn't make sense. This has to be supernatural. This has to be spiritual warfare. That's all I could like attribute it to because it made zero sense. It was so exaggerated. It was so wicked. It was it was beyond comprehension. And Dan and I were completely at a loss for 
the persecution we were going through and we could not understand it. And I, I was getting ready to say my cousin even drove from Cleveland the one day, like literally drove to Columbus to pray with us, to put his feet on that soil there, pray with us and drive home. I mean, it was that bad that we were just like, we can't make sense of this. We had not done anything to deserve that. It was unethical. I mean, I will, like I said, I'm going to do a podcast about that and just bring in some professionals as well to weigh in on um, really the extent of what retaliation looks like in the medical world and stuff, Um, because I think it is bigger than I realized, um, especially for people with chronic disease. But I would just say it was bad. It was horrific. And to come home and reach out to a disability attorney who then tells you, you have two kids who are chronically ill, you know, your special needs mom. I don't think you have the time, the capacity to, it's illegal what took place, um, but I don't think you have the time and the capacity to take on this hospital that has attorneys at their disposal. And she reassured me everything that had taken place, every meeting we were pulled into, they didn't prepare us for, they just pulled us into meetings that we weren't able to have representation with us for. I mean, again, very wicked. Um, she definitely said, like, believe me, their legal counsel has been a part of all of it. Like, this is very orchestrated, planned out. So, again, you need to switch her care quickly, quietly. And, um, again, that was like, what do we even do? How do we even do this? And so we had to. That was our choice we were left with was... Um, for this child who relied 100% even to eat, she had to have prescription IV nutrition. We had to have um, a physician's order, all of that. Like we had to quickly, but without burning bridges there, right? In the meantime, um, we had to quickly and quietly switch her care. So again, if you're living this life of you have a child with a disability, chronic disease, you're going to understand the magnitude of this and the stress. But it was incredibly hard, incredibly challenging. And yet we did it. We did it. And we found ourselves with her care switched over to the Cleveland Clinic. And the interesting piece of it was we also had to be very strategic because it was such an outlandish situation that happened there that we were like, can't just like sit with new physicians and be like, oh yeah, this hospital like totally retaliated against us. And um, because it it would almost like look bad on us, if that makes sense. And so, um, so a lot of, you know, what we had to say was, yeah, we're choosing to be closer to home and things like that. And we just had to be really thoughtful about what we shared. And, and yet we were able to do it. We were able to create this team. And yet it also felt really hard. Like, how are we going to get to know this team? So we had this one episode that um, Court got sick and I had to take her to the emergency room and she ended up getting admitted at the Cleveland Clinic Children's and it was really quick, but um, we had a lot of outstanding outpatient visits to meet this new team we were going to be starting to work with. And it, it was really overwhelming to go, okay, like we're kind of in this limbo place, right? And so during this admission, this quick admission, we ended up kind of meeting a lot of this team and establishing care then. And so it was like God knew we needed that quick admission. 
But then our next admission after that was the admission that led up to to her death. And like I said, she was in the hospital seven weeks before she passed away. Now, I do want to back up for a second. So this was um, January 10th that she went into the hospital. And um, it was March 1st that she passed away. And it was in December that God did something really amazing that I didn't even, couldn't even have realized at the time that he was doing. But Court was with her nurse and on a field trip with her school, um, with her class to do like some shopping and then go to lunch. And she was at a restaurant and two of our friends, a husband and wife couple, who really were and are two of our best friends. Um, And it was just kind of had been a weird season where they were always those friends that like, they'd always be like our best friends, but things just kind of, we just didn't see each other much. And, you know, but they were kind of those friends that you would be able to pick up right where you left off with. And, you know, I get a text from our nurse and she sends me a picture of, of Courtney with Nancy and Curtis. And I saw this picture that she texted me. And you guys, I just started like weeping, like uncontrollably. And I mean, I, I knew I was like emotional because I was like just so happy that they saw her and that their paths crossed. But there was more to it that I didn't even realize. And I just, yeah, I just started just weeping at this picture. And I knew it was a God thing. And I, again, just didn't know the why behind it. Then this interaction made me go, hey, do you guys want to come over and celebrate Court's 21st birthday with us? And they came. um, So this was just early December or late November. And they were able to come over and hang out for Court's birthday, which was really sweet. And then um, she ended up hospitalized, you know, in January. And Nancy and Curtis were always, um, I met Nancy when I was pregnant with Court, right after I became a Christian. And so we go way back. And Curtis, Curtis is a little hard to put into words. Um, He's crazy and wild, but he would just kind of roughhouse with Court and just loved her. And so, and they, we always kind of called them Kevin Court's godparents, like they were with Court when Dan and I were both in El Salvador getting Kevin. And they've just been two of the best of friends to us. And it was just kind of sad that like there had been this gap in our relationship, not for anything bad either. Like I said, it was just just this season of just not seeing each other. They're their adoptive parents and had been foster parents. And I think it was just this crazy season for whatever reason. And um, and it just led to, we just hadn't seen each other. But what I watched was God just bringing them back into court story, knowing court was going to pass away. And, um, and so for some reason, and I've known for a while that I always wanted Curtis to do court's funeral. I knew that. But even during that seven-week hospitalization, even before we knew she was dying, you know, I had asked Curtis again. Uh, I gave him a book, that book by Johnny Erickson Dada that I referenced in my second episode, 
that helped us decide to um, adopt Kevin. But I gave him that book and I said, please read this. And I said, I really want you to do her funeral. And even that was, I think, just the Holy Spirit just kind of preparing me. That um, And again, there was nothing. I don't want to say there was nothing, but she wasn't dying. But basically, this hospitalization had just led to, um, she had kidney issues, and her kidneys just took a major turn for the worse. And so the seven weeks in the hospital really ended up very quickly turning to she was going to be on dialysis and leaving and going home on dialysis. Um, The crazy thing is the way my brain's wired, the way Dan's brain's wired is we were going to be doing hemodialysis at home and getting trained to do that. But yet we were like, how do we do this at Disney World and how do we do this at Young Life Camp? Because she has to do those two things. And I love that. I love that we were always fighting for her life to be amazing. And I think God really honored that and blessed that for us. Um, And that was such a gift. But basically, court just didn't do well with dialysis. Her blood pressure just didn't tolerate it well. Um, So I'm going to stop there for a second. And I'm going to back up because it's easy for me to get ahead of myself. So the day that we get admitted to the Cleveland Clinic, we end up on this floor called M30. And this was our first time on this floor because that quick, quick, quick admission that she had been on, been at um, months earlier was in the ICU actually, and they discharged her from the ICU. So it's a planned admission now at this point that we've done everything we could do at home to try to fix this issue with her kidneys that's going on. The doctor knows she needs to come in. So it's a planned admission. We're not going through the emergency room. So you know, we're packing up to go to the hospital. And um, and I said this before on Facebook. I remember typing this. Um, and again, these are one of those moments I have to remember. God knew because in my heart, um, I grieve that she left this house and left her room not knowing she would ever come back. Um, not knowing she would never come back. That's hard for me. Um, it's hard. It's hard that she didn't get to say goodbye to her room and her things. You know, you're just so thoughtful about, like, this house was this house was built for her. Sorry, see, that's my bad crying and talking. This house was built for her. The crate and barrel couch that we shopped and shopped and tried out five times before we bought it. That couch was bought for her so she could sit on it by herself. You know, I mean, there's just so much thought. Had to go into everything that, um, yeah, it just makes me sad she didn't get to say goodbye, but we didn't know. Um, so, but you know, when she went into the hospital, she looked great. She really did. And I just remember, I could remember what she was wearing that day. I can remember I can remember Nurse Jess being here always faithfully packing up everything we needed to go 
you know, whether it's Disney World or the hospital, you're still packing up half your house to go and, um, you know, saying goodbye to Kev. And this is in, you know, the midst of COVID. And so I think Jess only got to see her two more times. And Kev only got to see her two more times. Stupid COVID. Um, that was a really hard time, you guys. To be in a hospital in the midst of COVID and not open visitation and stuff. Um, but anyways, I remember how cute she looked that day. She had a fuzzy blue seafoam green sweater on, sweatshirt on and black leggings. And, and I remember getting to the floor and I remember meeting Amanda and Robin, two nurses. And I remember them looking at her and going, how do we not know her? She's so cute. How have we not met her? And I'm like, well, this is really like our first time here. Um, And one of the first things they told me was, we have a Courtney too. And they're like, like, no, like she spells her name like this Courtney, C-O-U-R-T-E-N-E-Y. And I was like, huh. Oh, okay. I've never met a Courtney who spells her name like my Courtney, other than Courtney Cox. But that was one of the first things they told us. We have a Courtney too. And and I will say this about the Cleveland Clinic Children's. You know, we walked into this unit and um I was I would I would say this compared to the hospital we were leaving, that is like super fancy, has all the bells and whistles. This does not. Okay. It's not like it's dumpy. It's not. It's clean. It's good. It's fine. But it's kind of a night and day difference as far as like the bells and whistles. But what God had showed me was you don't need the bells and whistles. The bells and whistles are meaningless. You need a committed, kind, supportive, caring team. That is what you need. Forget the bells and whistles. And so our journey began there. And what I experienced, um, well, we met the Courtney, who is their Courtney, and our hearts were knit together right away. And I'm going to touch on that a little bit more. But every shift she worked those seven weeks, she had our Courtney. But I watched these nurses and the physicians there. They were some of the most humble people, professionals I've ever worked with. Because when I look back at the, the root of the challenges we had at that other hospital, I will say this, it was pride, complete pride. And I don't want to stereotype physicians, but there are physicians who think they are God. And there are physicians who will be little people like me who do not have a medical degree But I will say this, I lived and breathed that child for 21 years. I knew her better than anybody. And I knew I was right. (laughs) And that's, and it wasn't prideful. It was literally black and white. I knew I was right. Um, And so I was fighting for my kid's life. Um, I was advocating for my kid's life. And I did it with dignity. I did it with respect. But there are people who will never be able to handle that. And that was what happened. And it's so sad that that can happen from advocacy, but it can. I'm learning that. So anyways, different tangent, but I will say this. When you 
when when you see medical professionals who are humble and collaborative, it was like a breath of fresh air to us. It was so life-giving. I remember two nights before she died, the head of the pediatric intensive care unit at the Cleveland Clinic coming in to talk to me and Dan at midnight. Dan was sleeping there because we knew she was going to die. And I remember him coming in and talking to us. And I remember just saying, like, where's the egos? Like, to the nurse after he walked out. Because she said, I said, who was that guy? Like, I knew he was an intensivist. But she said, oh, he's the head of our ICU. And I just said, where's the egos here? I did not encounter any egos at that hospital. And it made for the best care she had received in 21 years. And so the one day I was standing in line at the Cleveland Clinic to get COVID checked. You know, they would do the COVID screening. And here's what Jesus showed me, you guys. I'm standing in line and I start texting our nurse because this hit me like a ton of bricks. But I text our nurse and I said, I get it. I get why she's here. I get why all of that happened in Columbus. It's because she was meant to be here. This is where she is meant to die. Like, this is where God is handpicked. This is the team he has handpicked for her. And I want you to just stop and remember what I was just saying a few moments ago. What took place was outlandish, exaggerated. It was, it felt wicked. It felt demonic. And we have no idea what happens in the heavenly realms. Like, right? Like you look at like the book of Job and you see where Satan is going to God and going, can I do this to Job? And God's going, yes, you may, but don't do this, right? Like he's giving the parameters, right? To, to Satan of what he can do to his child, to his person, Job. And so I cannot tell you in the heavenly realms what took place. But all I can tell you is I know God was in control and I know he used it for good. And I know God knows me. And the reality is as dysfunctional and awful, terrible, unethical as all of that was that we experienced there, I would have fought to make it work. I would have sacrificed to make that work so that she didn't have her care disrupted. And so I believe with all my heart that how bad it got that we literally were given no choice but to have to switch her care was God slamming that door shut, doing one deadbolt, two deadbolts, three deadbolts, four deadbolts, a couple chains across the door. You you get my point. He knows my little claws would have clawed my way back in and made it try to work, right? <laughs> he knows me. He knows the number of hairs on my head. He knows this mama would have been like, this can't fall apart. I have to make this work even if it cost me and cost her. And yet I knew this hospital was going to kill her. Like that if I stayed there, this was going to harm her. It already had, they already had harmed her. And so this was God's protection. One of the things that in the moment felt like the craziest, 
worst thing that could ever happen to us ended up being part of this glorious plan God was writing to remove us from one institution, to take us to another institution. Those seven weeks, I could not have imagined being around a team of people who hated us. And I'm not exaggerating when I say that, you guys. Hated us. Treated us terribly. Demeaned us publicly. Um, threatened us. I, I mean, it was, it was, yes, again, I, I, I can't even go into all the details. It was that bad. Um, I could not have imagined walking through the worst time of my life surrounded by people who did not love us, did not support us. And God knew that. It's as simple as that. God knew that. God knew he needed to remove us from that. God knew we, need, we didn't need to be two hours from home, that we needed love and support near home. And so again, that door was slammed shut, five deadbolts done, a couple chains across that door done, but God knew what needed to be done to say, you're done here. I am taking you to somewhere new that is going to honor you, respect you, care for her, come alongside you. And this was the team that he handpicked to care for her in her death. This was the institution that he handpicked where she would die. This was the city that he said she needed to be in Cleveland, Ohio to die. And so when I tell you God's way is perfect, I'm not over-exaggerating that. Like his way is perfect. The details, the attention to detail that he gives, the things he will do. I mean, I've seen him do it. I know it in my own life. I, I saw him rescue me in an abortion clinic. I saw the way he brought Kevin into our family. Like Jesus will bend over backwards to care for you. Jesus will move heaven and earth at times to care for you and do what needs to be done. But this again was just another moment where I just saw the God of the universe say, I'm going to meet your every need as you walk through this. I am going to be there and provide and show you and give you the best situation in this time. I couldn't even have imagined dealing with the dysfunction and the pain that we had dealt with simultaneously as she died. And so instead of that, you know, we're surrounded by this humble team. And, and I can tell you, the days we stood on rounds outside of her ICU room, well, first on M30, and then we, she ended up going up to the ICU. And this one physician who was her kidney doctor a lot of the time, I can just picture him right now. Leaning up against the wall. And if you're watching this on YouTube, you'll see me do this and model this, but he would have his hands on his head because he was just like bringing it all. He wanted to make her better. He 
wanted to be able to fix it. But I watched. I mean, I literally watched the anguish. I watched it in the physicians. And I watched it in this beautiful team of nurses. Who were cheering with us on the days that were good. And grieving with us on the days that were hard. And, um, and that's, and that's all you can ask for because there isn't always a fix you guys, but that'll forever be in my head and my heart watching the physical anguish these physicians went through and this team went through trying to figure out how to get this better and make her better. But it was during this time that she was supposed to go run at Disney two years ago. And um, the nurses knew that and the team knew that. We were trying to get all this dialysis stuff together for her to be able to go run at Disney. And as it became more apparent, again, not that she was dying, that we just weren't going to be able to fine-tune dialysis well enough for her to be out of the hospital and to travel But the plan was still she was going home on dialysis. There was a weekend. It was actually the weekend before she died. Dan and I would switch on the weekends. I'd go home to be with Kev. He'd be with her. And the nurses told us they had a surprise. And these were the M30 nurses. So at this point, she's in the ICU. But M30 is where Courtney was. And all these amazing physicians or amazing nurses that just were such a joy and such a gift and took such good care of us. And they told us they had a surprise and that they were going to bring it to Dan. And the surprise ended up being that they presented this laptop and I was on video. And on this laptop was a video of them running, each of them running a mile for court. And I'm going to post this video in the show notes Um, And our local news actually just did a story on this recently on these nurses. But they did their Disney princess marathon, half marathon for her. And it was all orchestrated by Courtney, her special Courtney, who knew that this dad and this mom were just fighting to get her to this race. That wasn't going to happen. And so these precious nurses... (laughs) all at different places in their homes and their neighborhoods. One was in Arizona. They all ran for her. Um, Some had their kids dressed up. Some had their dogs dressed up. One literally ran. One was like, I don't have kids. I don't have a dog. So I took my my roommate's fish and she was running with a fishbowl, you guys. Like it was so awesome. And at that point, they're still cheering court on. They're still cheering her on court. You could do this. Knowing she wasn't going to make it to the race, but like, where you could do this, we're cheering for you, got this. And then they decorated her room, her ICU room, with the Moana theme because they knew that year the half marathon medal was Moana. And um, she was going to be dressed as Moana and Dan was going to be dressed as Maui. And the beautiful piece in this, as beautiful as this video was, 
And it was. I mean, again, I'm going to post it so you all can watch it if you haven't seen it yet. But the beautiful piece in this truly was that they got to know their patient. They got to know us. They talked to us. They spent time with us. They poured into us. And not only is that not totally normal in just the hospital setting, but for a kid with a disability who isn't even at their best, Gordon, days where she was super lethargic from the dialysis, she was just really struggling. Maybe she wasn't even awake that day. But they loved her. They loved her. And so just the fact that they knew what was important to us they knew how to care for us. They knew what our hearts, sorry, they knew what our hearts needed. You talk about patient and family-centered care, like this far exceeds this. And the reason the news just now, like a handful of months ago, just did a story on her and on this nurses thing was because they had caregiver awards at the Cleveland Clinic in the, I think it was in the summer. And um, they got awarded a surprise award from the CEO of the Cleveland Clinic. Um, they were honored by him because of this run that they did for Courtney. And I just reached out to one of the news um, broadcasters who had done a story on Dan and Court's running previously. And I was just like, Lindsay, you have to do a story on this. Like, it's amazing. These nurses are outstanding. These nurses are one of a kind. These nurses are incredible. Here's the really beautiful thing, you guys. And I got to tell Nurse Courtney this all the time. Psalm 147.4 says this. He counts the stars and he calls them by name. And so I would tell Nurse Courtney, like, God picked you. God picked you to care for my court. God picked you. If he names the stars, there is no coincidence that the first Courtney we've met that spells her name the same as our Courtney was in this setting in this moment. And our Courtney was the first Courtney she had ever met that spells her name the same as her. And I just wanted to reassure her so much. You were handpicked by God for this moment. You were handpicked by God to do this. You were handpicked by her, by him. You were handpicked by him to care for her. These nurses, these doctors were chosen by God to care for Courtney. And see, the beautiful thing is whether all of these people know Jesus or don't, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. God still does his work. God still uses people, right? Isn't that so cool? Isn't that so amazing? And so I want you to hear this. I don't want you to hear this as like, like this is how much I know God is in every detail. The closed doors at that other hospital, the nurse Courtney at the Cleveland Clinic, the humble physicians who were exhausting themselves trying to make her better, 
the physicians that supported us and loved us and valued us as parents. You guys, there are no coincidences when you know the Lord. There are no there's no coincidence even if you don't know the Lord. Truly, he runs the world. He holds all things together. He orchestrates and ordains everything. Everything gets filtered through his hands. And so the beautiful thing is we just had eyes to see it. We had eyes to see where God was just saying, this is her time. She's not here to be fixed. But I'm here to write this beautiful story that's going to show my glory, show my love, show my power, show my goodness, show me caring for every tender, detailed need that this child has. But it's going to lead to her death. And that's the truth. This hospitalization wasn't to fix her. This hospitalization was to give her the death that God chose for her, to surround her with the people he wanted to surround her with, to give us the love and the support we needed. And so as soon as we realized, and basically I'll give you the medical explanation, her blood pressure plummeted the one night when I was home with Kevin. And um, she went into hypotensive shock. And Dan called me and he told me what happened. And he said she wouldn't smile. And we knew that her blood flow hadn't gone to her brain well and gone to her liver well because we saw her liver numbers skyrocketed and... um, and she just wasn't court. And um, she was maxed out on blood pressure medicine. So bringing her home wasn't even an option to die. And so then those last 36 hours, it was, okay, She's she's going to die. And we knew that the way then she would actually die would be of cardiac arrest. And in the ICU, we were there for probably three weeks. Maybe longer, maybe four. And if you're an ICU nurse or you know an ICU nurse, um, ICU nurses are strong, man. They're strong. They're protective. Can I tell you that until the day she died, I did every blood draw on her. I put every Foley in her bladder. I gave her all her meds. Hooked up her IV nutrition to her central line. Not one nurse touched her central line <laughs> because that was me. That's that's the mom I am, that I protected that line. And for seven, 
15 years she went with no line infections because of that and by God's grace. But these nurses honored us so well. They cared for us so well. And we had this one nurse who cared for her over and over and over again. Her name was Kelly. And it's amazing how they just know from your vitals, like, it's getting close. It's getting close. And at that point, compassionate visitation had opened. Really, we had 36 hours of compassionate visitation, and we were able to invite family and close friends to come say goodbye to her. Um, and some of those were, a lot of those, all of those were really hard, but I'm going to mention a few. Um, so my sweet friend, Maddie, who was Gord's age and one of my young life kids came and said goodbye to court. And that was really brave of Maddie. Maddie has Down syndrome and, um, you know, our friends with disabilities can process death hard. And yet Maddie came. And I love her so much for that. And I love her mom for bringing And her friend Patrick came from Young Life. This is hard, you guys. I mean, you're coming to say goodbye to your friend. And even someone like Maddie. I mean, Maddie did grief counseling for probably a good year. Because she lost her friend. court was so special to so many people and I love that it brings me so much joy and it brings Dan so much joy and nurse Jess was able to be with us sorry this is actually going to be the hardest part because Gord had so many special people in her life who loved her so much. And um, Jess, we actually invited Jess to be with us when Court died. Um, she has faithfully took care of Court for seven years. She would call Court one of her best friends. And I know if Court could talk, Court would call Jess one of her best friends. And did those two love each other? Oh, they loved each other so much. And Nancy and Curtis were there.
And I'm going to post the link for her funeral because I'd really love for you guys to watch it. Because Curtis just honored her so well. Because he knew her. He knew her. He spent time with her. He knew her. And he loved her so much. And Nance loved her so much. And it was just so beautiful to watch people just be sad because they were she was their friend or she was their family. And then my niece Autumn. Whew. And this one's this is a hard one. Court introduced Autumn to Jesus. Autumn knows Jesus because of Courtney. They were best friends. <laughs> Since that little girl had a pacifier in her mouth, she was climbing in Court's lap. I can't even put into words their relationship their friendship, the sleepovers, the Eskimo kisses, the wild, crazy dance parties, the videos they would make. I mean, it was the most beautiful relationship I've ever seen. And we got to um, do handprints with Court before she passed away. So even in my home right now, I have gold handprints that are framed of me, Dan, Court, and Kev. And Autumn got to do handprints with Court. And the music therapist um, came and recorded Court's heartbeat. And we have a little teddy bear with Court's um, heartbeat on it. And then she asked us what our favorite song was. And um, we told her Happily Ever After, which is from the fireworks show at Disney World. Um, you could listen to it. It's a beautiful song, Happily Ever After by Jordan Fisher. And um, we actually have a, um, a music track where she took Cord's heartbeat and played it with Happily Ever After. And, um, and then something as simple as just as our family was in the waiting room that day and our friends that came to see her, um, you know, they had um, Trotter the dog the therapy dog. Um, I just felt like they thought of everything, you guys. And then another beautiful story with people um, was Chick-fil-A of Macedonia. Um, Chick-fil-A has, this is going to sound silly, but like they've just been such a part of our family and part of our story. Um, we did our very first adoption fundraiser there, and we just had built this beautiful relationship with the owner of that Chick-fil-A and the manager of that Chick-fil-A. And our friend, um, Rick, who at the time was in charge of their catering, <coughs> our friend Rick, who was in charge of the catering at the time, had contacted us and asked if he could bring us lunch that day. And we were like, sure. And he actually showed up with a whole wagon cart thing of food and fed the entire ICU. And um, like the staff and us and our friends and um, 
they were the hands and feet of Christ to that unit. They met practical needs, always checking on us. Um, How can we serve you guys? How can we help? Um, And then came, and probably the most beautiful thing was, I'll never forget, um, when Rick showed up with that cart of food, he just wept. Because he loved court, and he loves our family. And he knew us, and he spent time with us. And, um, gosh, it just makes you realize, like, no relationships are meaningless, you guys. Like, I just think of that, and I just think of the crazy relationships. And it was, and a lot of it started because Chick-fil-A used to do karaoke. (laughs) And we would go sing karaoke with our kids, and I mean, just... Just the relationships. God just gives us so many opportunities for relationships. And I mean, I'm not saying this in a prideful way, but like we just went, dove head first into relationships with people. And our kids kind of made us do that in so many ways. And um, and the people and the relationships that Court had were because of that. Like she was part of her community. She was part of young life she had community like it just um it just was beautiful and um I just can't tell you how that just made things amazing and um I know this is long so I'm going to keep moving forward but um but I do remember one of the doctors when they came in to say to talk to us two of them actually our GI doctor and our kidney doctor And I remember asking them if they had eaten. And one of them was just like, why are you worried about us? Like, your daughter's dying. Um, And I guess I just want to say, like, we made it a point to never forget that this is where God had placed us for a reason. That we were there to show the living God. That we were there to show that we bleed, that we cry, that we grieve, that we mourn. But we were also there to show we have a great hope and a great trust in the God of the universe. Who has so faithfully loved our daughter and cared for his child. And so we made it a point to love and serve others while we were there too. The day she died, um, they had kind of prepared us that um, we may want to bathe her, change her clothes after she died. And so Autumn had come here to our home and picked out clothes for court. And I'll be honest, I had no idea what we would want because we had never walked through this. And Dan, when he was, when court was in the hospital, those seven weeks, he built her the Disney World castle. And because the plan wasn't that she was going to die. He kept telling her she was going to get to see it when she came home. And it was like the 3,000 or 4,000 piece castle, massive. But he worked on it every night after he put Kev to bed. And my nephew actually got to bring that to the Cleveland Clinic in a couple different pieces, but then put it together for court so she got to see the castle. Um, 
And I did decide I did want to bathe her after she died. And I did want to dress her. And I remember asking Autumn. At that point, it was just me and Autumn. I remember asking her if she wanted to help me. And with she was 15 at the time. And without hesitation, me, her, and Nurse Kelly bathed her. And I remember saying to Autumn when I asked her if she wanted to or would help, I said, let's just take really good care of her till we have to leave her. And yeah, without hesitation, she said yes. And we bathed her and we fixed her pony. We got her dressed in cute court clothes. And it felt right. It felt like this is what we were supposed to do. And at the end of the night, Kelly, the nurse, came up to me. She had tears in her eyes. She had stayed long after her shift to be with us till court passed. And she had tears in her eyes and she said, I can't believe what I just witnessed. I can't believe I just watched a 15-year-old without hesitation bathe a body. And I told her confidently that she had just seen the hands and feet of Jesus because Autumn knew Jesus and is indwelt by the Holy Spirit. She watched the tender care of our Lord. You know, just to back up um, a sec, it was so helpful that we were able to um, know based on her vitals when she would pass. And although we had people coming in and out of her room all day long to say goodbye, and we took lots of pictures, (sighs) beautiful pictures. Um, when it was time for her to pass, it was just me and Dan and Kevin, Joss, and I had our diffuser going. I actually have it going now with the same smell. And I had, um, the Carrie Job and Cody Carnes song, um, The Blessing playing. can't quite put into words how you tell your child that they're going to see Jesus and that they're dying. But by God's grace, we did it. And we held her. It was peaceful and it was beautiful. The Bible tells us to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And we watched her. I mean, we watched her. We watched her fade away here and know by faith that she is with Jesus, whatever that looks like. I know she doesn't have a resurrected body yet, so don't tell me that because that's not biblical. (laughs) 
<laughs> That's why you didn't hear that at her funeral. Um, but I know she's with Jesus. In some capacity, she is with Jesus. And I know her life mattered. And I know her life changed lives. And I know she showed Jesus in a way only Courtney could. The hardest thing, I will share this, the hardest thing that day was walking out of that hospital with an empty wheelchair. That was painful. The crazy thing is she died. Um, she died a floor away from where she was born in the same building at the Cleveland Clinic. So when she was born, they did not have a neonatal intensive care unit at the Cleveland Clinic. So she spent about a week there in like their special nursery. And then they had to transfer her to Rainbow. So that's how we ended up a Rainbow family most of our years, her early years. And, um, it was kind of crazy to see her kind of like, like full circle, like dying right where she was born. <sighs> My dad was there and he just loved her and adored her with all his heart. My young life leader, Betsy, who you heard me talk about in episode one, who I met when I was three days after I walked out of that abortion clinic, she was there the day Courtney was born. She was with us that whole day when Courtney died. Um, I mean, you're talking 21 years later. My young life leader still walking alongside me. And that's why you'll always hear me say I believe in young life with all my heart. <laughs> and her young life community. Man, I loved young life before this, but man watching her young life leaders surround her and a couple of her young life friends being able to be invited in to come see her, but really to watch these people who had poured into her, discipled her, loved her. Uh, they were the hands and feet of Christ to her. Um, it was beautiful. And so many others, so many others um, were just there to love us and support us. Um, and so, you know, I do want to say as I close kind of a cool part of this story with the nurses is that we were able to reach out to Disney and tell them and share with them the video that these nurses had made for court. And in response, they sent us half marathon medals from the race to give to the nurses so then we had this beautiful time meeting back up with these nurses from M30 who made that video. And we got to give each one of them medals. Um, and so, guys, again, it's just a story that only God could write. And yet it was so beautifully written just for court, just for our family, just so we knew he was with us. Because here's the thing, those seven weeks, they were chaotic. They were crazy. There were so many ups and downs. But based on the word of God and who I know God to be and who I know Jesus to be and, and the way he showed himself, it was so beautifully planned, every detail. 
And so I know without a, a doubt that although there was those feelings of chaos and those feelings of trying to fix this, God was, he was totally in control and this was perfect. It was a perfect plan. And so do I still grieve and mourn with everything in me? Absolutely, because I lost my little girl. But yet, do I have complete trust that she couldn't have died a second before the Lord had ordained? Absolutely. And it's this beautiful, um, I don't even know the right word to use, but it's this beautiful um, coming together of those two things, those two truths that my heart is grieved and mourning. Um, and will this side of heaven forever and ever until I'm with her again. And believe me when I say I'm so happy to know she knew Jesus and she is with Jesus. And that I am going to see her again because I know Jesus. And Dan knows Jesus and Gav knows Jesus. Um, like that is my hope and my trust is that we will see her again. And I am so thankful that I know God has already told her um, we saw his hand at work in so many ways, this side of heaven. And yet, I know he's revealed so much to her of even more that was taking place, more that was happening through her sufferings, through her trials. He called her to beautiful things. And I know that um, he's revealed more and more of that to her in heaven. And um, it's just, I can't even put into words all that we saw him do so beautifully do there's even so much more um but this is really long and no one's gonna listen if i keep going long um but i want to say thank you for bearing with me through the hoarseness through the tears thank you for um accepting the invitation to be invited into this story to this beautiful hard journey that god has called us to um and to letting us share with, with you her, the story of her passing um, from here to eternity with our Lord, with our Savior. Um, thank you for getting um, to be a part of this. Thank you for letting me share. Thank you for letting me. Um, this is healing for me in some ways to get to share just how God showed up and how beautifully faithful he was in every detail to her um, and we got to stand on rounds that last day and declare that to that team. I got to tell them that her days were numbered. I got to thank each one of them for serving her faithfully and for supporting us so well. And I want to encourage you that when you're in those moments, the world is watching because you claim to have a hope that is beyond this world. You claim to serve a God that lives, and the world is dying to see that. And so I want to encourage you to be bold and be courageous, and it is your story. I promise you in that moment, nobody was going to stop me from saying what I wanted to say about Jesus. No one was going to stop a grieving mom whose daughter was dying and say, that's not true, or I don't believe that, or you just offended me. We had a door open to declare who we know Jesus to be. And we shared it with all our hearts. And so 
That team that took care of her, whether they believed it or not, they heard the gospel. They heard who Jesus was. They know the God that we believe in. They know that our faith and our hope is in a God who holds the keys to life and a God who holds the keys to death. And I am so thankful for those moments. I am so thankful for those relationships that were built. I'm so thankful that he knows and names the, knows the number of hairs on our heads and names the stars. And he handpicked a nurse, Courtney, and he handpicked a nurse, Kelly, and he handpicked the M30 nurses, and he handpicked those physicians, and he handpicked the Cleveland Clinic. I am so thankful that he did more than we could ever ask or imagine so that she could die in peace and be loved and supported and cared for so well. And we saw Jesus. We saw Jesus through it all. What a gift. What a gift. And that is where we get to say, according to Psalm 1830, his ways are perfect. Perfect in all of his ways is he. That is the God I serve. That is the God I love. That is the God that is the goal. Jesus is the goal. Heaven is the goal, you guys. That is who we long to be with and serve forever and eternity. Thank you again for joining me. And please check out the show notes. I'm going to post the videos. I'm going to post the funeral. Um, I hope it blesses you guys. All right. Thanks. Take care. Thank you for listening to Invited In with Christine Boyle. Follow and subscribe. And please leave a review or rating. Visit christineboyle.com to have Christine speak at your next event.